This is the part where we open the show with a clever line, but given the whole episode is about the U.S. Open, let's get right to it on the podcast. Some of you might be tuning in as longtime competitive mini golfers, and others may be unaware that people compete for anything on a mini golf course aside from pride. My name is Tom, and I go by Mr. T in a mini golf endeavor I do with my wife called A Couple of Butts. We design, consult, and play on mini golf holes and courses across the globe. Find all of our work over at a couple and on social media at Couple Putts. P.S. In the last few years since competing on Holy Moly, I've started to become involved with the competitive side of the game of mini golf, but I'm just really green still. And I'm Pat, and mini golf circles are known as the Putting Penguin. I run the mini golf course review website and the social media conglomerate, the Putting Penguin. I'm also a competitive mini golfer, having played in over 60 tournaments, including the U.S. Open eight times. I'm hoping to add a few more tournaments and hopefully some wins to my resume in 2021. And we have a guest! We've been recording remotely through the dead of a pandemic winter, and we're going to give it a shot here. We're all recording remotely, looking at each other on screens, like we've kind of been doing just with me and Pat, but we have a third person in the mix. So if it doesn't sound perfect, we apologize in advance. We ask for your grace and just stick along with us. It's going to be a lot of fun. So the lucky winner of our first interview lottery is Frank Bassesi, who's a mini golfer from Indiana. And he's going to be joining us to talk about the 2021 U.S. Open that was held on April 9th and 10th at Gator Mike's in Cape Coral, Florida. In a future episode, we'll probably do a deep dive into the history of the Open, courses, winners, etc. But before we go over to Frank, I'm just going to give you a quick summary of the tournament. So the U.S. Open started in 1998 in Myrtle Beach. It's kind of a sister tournament to the Masters, similar to what you might find in the PGA. In 2008, the U.S. Open moved out of Myrtle Beach for the first time, and it's been going to different locations each year ever since. Overall, I would consider the Open a little less grueling than the Masters, just from a number of rounds perspective, but the courses tend to be more difficult, especially when it comes to the volume of aces you can get and how tricky those second putts are if you don't get the ace. So with that as a background, it's time to get Frank on and let him putt one ready. So we're going to welcome Frank onto the podcast. He's our very first guest, and we're going to get to know him a little bit. And Frank, we kind of wanted to get a sense of how you got started in the mini golf world as you're relatively new to the competitive world of mini golf. Okay, so I have to thank Mr. Brent Whirling um, for introducing me to the putt-putt in mini golf world. So in 2017, I want to say this is maybe... uh, Around February 2017, I happened to notice on his face. Well, actually, let me let me back all the way up. So, so I've known Brent um, since I want to say 2005 or 2006, and we were video game competitors and rivals, and we played old school uh, Street Fighter games. Um, so I traveled around tournaments, and he was at uh, many tournaments along with me. And we were we were rivals. We were always getting first and second in each event. Either he was getting first, I was second, I was first, he was second. But we never really had a conversation outside of video games. So fast forward all the way to 2017. And um, I happened to notice that he had a putt-putt local scoreboard um, posted on his Facebook page. I thought to myself, like, wow, he, I had no idea that I've known this guy since, you know, for about 11 years at this point. I had absolutely no clue whatsoever that he played putt-putt. So I just asked, started asking him like, yo, you play putt-putt? I remember doing that like when I was like 16, 17 years old. 
And uh, I had no idea. And he's like, oh, yeah, I've been doing it for like, you know, at that point, I guess he would have been doing it for like 16 years already. So I'm like, wow. really, I've known you for 11 years and had absolutely no idea that you had any golf <laughs> interest whatsoever, any putting interest. And here I'd been a golfer since I was 13. And, um, you know, at that point in 2005, um, so I would have been, I guess, at that point, 28 years old ish. Um, so most of the people that were going to these video game tournaments were a lot younger. I'm 28. Most of them were 16, 17, 18, 19 year olds that really didn't have much in common. So besides the video games. And so I was always trying to find somebody who had some kind of common interest. Either I played football, basketball, golf in high school. And, you know, most of the kids had no really athletic talent or ability. They're just, you know, video gamers. So here is somebody that I'd known for 11 years. And then all of a sudden, here's a putt-putt scoreboard. And it just blew my mind that he'd been playing. And he'd been playing for like 16 years already. And I had no idea that we had this common interest. And we could have been sharing this common interest outside of the video game tournaments. So I just started asking him about it. And he told me that it was in Fort Wayne. At that time, I lived uh, just north of Cincinnati, Ohio. And the port, the Fort Wayne putt-putt course was pretty much exactly two hours away from where I lived. So he said, uh, you know, you can go to this website, proputters.org, and you can check out the you know, tournaments. And we had this Indiana putting tour. Um, and then uh, you can check that out. We have a tournament. The first tournament that was coming up of the year was in Erlanger, Kentucky. So he's like, you know, you can check it out and, and uh, you can come out and, you know, you can just watch or play. There's an amateur division. There's a professional division and and so on. And so I, I went to um, I went to Erlanger and I believe it was on uh, the week before the tournament. Um, it was on a Sunday. I was there all by myself. It was maybe 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. And I made it through whole. I don't know if you get either of you guys have ever played putt putt in, uh, in Erlanger, <laughs> Kentucky. But um, I was on course two. And I got to the third hole on course two and another vehicle pulled up and his license plate said Gurr. And it was G-R-R-R, right? Ohio license plate. And this guy lumbers out as an older guy and white hair, balding. He's got knee braces on and all this stuff. And I'm, <laughs> I'm standing there on hole three. And he's like, uh, hey, you want me to show you the shots? And I was like, well, sure. I, I have no idea. You know, I'd been, I sat there for probably an hour just playing hole one and two trying to figure it out. And uh, he said, sure. And so he came up and he showed me to put it on dot two and a half and see that little mark out there. Hit it over that. And so I did it. Bam. Nailed the very first putt. And and then from there, he just kind of just took me around the course and I found out his name was Mr. John Ventura. So that was the first person that I ever met was sloppy um, out there in a the putt putt course. And then the second person I ever met was Greg Newport. He showed up just a little bit later. And so that was, that was my introduction to putt putt, um, <laughs> and any kind of miniature golf tournament was sloppy than Greg Newport. It couldn't have been two opposite people. So <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, I was going to say quite the pair there, right? Uh, especially Greg, you know, Mr. Perfect 18 there. That's a, it's, that's an introduction to professional putting. Although I guess, you know, from my perspective, I mean, one of the first people I've had the pleasure of losing to in a tournament was Olivia. So, you know, <laughs> there's a common story there. Um, hey, before, so, yeah, so, oh, before ahead, we get back into the putt-putt, you have to tell us your favorite Street Fighter player or your go-to player. We can't let it go. We, we just got to ask that one. Uh, so when I originally started playing Street Fighter 2 back in 1992 and 93, I played Zangief. Um, oh yeah. And then I entered the Russian. Yes. The Russian. So I, I played Zangief, um, and I started traveling to California and playing the tournaments and I would always lose to the players that would pick guile. Cause that's a counter pick. 
Um, that's a very, very hard match. So I would always, I would get, I would advance pretty far in a tournament and then the better players knew how to play against Zangief and they would just pick Guile and destroy me. So as I went along in my Street Fighter career, I, I, I went from uh, Zangief to uh, Sagat. And then uh, from Sagat, I played uh, M. Bison, which we call him Boxer now. Um, because there's a little bit of terminology there with the with the United States version and the Japanese version of the game. So the U.S. version of the game, um, the 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 character's name is M. Bison. Well, I'm sorry. In, in Japan, his name is M. Bison and it was a playoff of Mike Tyson. So that's why his name is M. Bison. Um, uh, but in the American version, his name is Bal- is Balrog. So that's that. So if I say if I say, you know, Balrog and people are like, well, that that might be the guy with the claw. And it's just some of the names are different that hit the claw. The claw name. His name is Vega in the, in the United States version. And in the Japanese version, his name is uh, Bar or Balrog. So, yeah. So that's so I went from there. And now for the last like four years, I've been playing Dalsim. And so Dalsim is my uh, main character now. Nice. Awesome. Okay, back to the back to the mini golf. <laughs> yeah. All right. So yeah. So I mean, you you picked it up, you know, not too long ago, and you know, very quickly, you know, I started seeing you at some of the major tournaments, and you know, most recently, I was a little sad I didn't get to play this year, but you know, you just came off of, I guess it was last weekend at this point, you know, playing in the U.S. Open, which was down in Cape Coral, Florida, at a course called Gator Mike's, and you know, we just want to start off. Just give us some of the background. You know, you were there. How many rounds? How many people? You know, what was the overall atmosphere like? You know, we'll get into a little course talk in a minute, but just kind of set the stage for the listeners of you know what this year's Open was. Uh, this year's United States Open was a seven-round tournament, uh, which was uh, different from the other U.S. Opens that I played in, which were ten-round tournaments. So it was it was a lot more intense. Um, and so yeah, I mean, it was it was individual stroke play seven rounds there was a hole six that so there was there were actually 19 holes at gator mics which is something that i wasn't ever familiar with before i've never seen that before at a tournament actually 19 playable holes so hole six we did not play um so hole seven was actually hole six and then hole 19 would have been 18 so you know for record keeping purposes and the scorecards and whatnot it was a little bit confusing in the beginning but the players figured it out you know pretty fast and how many people did we have? It was like 30 33. Okay. 33. So a, a smaller feel for the Open, but we, I mean, we'll go into this probably when we were talk a little bit more in the future about competitive stuff, but it had some stuff going against it this year. Obviously, it was moved. Um, we've talked a little bit on the podcast here about how it was previously supposed to be in Pennsylvania. Put you moved up in the schedule. There's still various different COVID restrictions and regulations around the country. So probably a little bit smaller number wise, but clearly when you look at the scoreboard and we'll talk about scoring a little bit later, a lot of the big top names that you would normally see at these tournaments were already there. I guess going into it, did you have any thoughts of, you know, who might be the hot person to beat um, and maybe even what your own expectations were going to be kind of going into the tournament? Before I was even uh, so I have a daughter that's due in May 12th. So the the tournament that was originally scheduled there in Putt U was right around that weekend. So I wouldn't have been able to attend that event. So I got lucky in the sense that it got moved up. Otherwise, I wouldn't even have been able to attend the U.S. Open in the first place. So lucked out for me. Unfortunately, it was unlucky for a lot of other players. They weren't able to get, you know, schedule time off. And I feel bad about that. But, you know, for me, it worked out. Um, as far as who did I think was going hot, I don't really 
I haven't really kept track of like, you know, who was at, you know, we just have two miniature, two USPMGA majors per year. So it's hard to tell, you know, you can't really get a sense of other tournaments engage who's coming in hot. You can only go by putt putt standings and it's a, you know, pretty much a completely different game as far as with the carpet and, and the bricks and everything else. So it's as far as who is coming in hot. Absolutely no idea. Um, it's just, you know, usually the mainstays are the guys that play in both tours, the Randy Reeves, the Jay Clappers, um, the Gary Hesters of the world, you know, obviously, uh, you know, Matt Mayle, um, he excels at both. So those players, you know, Brian Johnson, everybody who was at the top, really, I mean, the only really surprise I would say would have probably have been like John Kropanek and he kind of backed his way in. And if you guys watched uh, rounds five, six and seven, he played out of his mind on round six and seven. It was it was really awesome to be a part of that. Um, but it's, so to answer your question about my own personal expectations, when I first learned about the U.S. Open and I first learned that I could go and it was going to work out for me, of course, I have the you know, thoughts of placing high and, and I want to win. Um, I had practice every day at home. I have a local miniature golf course that I practice at every day. But there was a point in time where I realized, you know what, like I so I'm a part of I don't know if you guys are a part of the PPA 60s and 70s group on facebook i think i am yeah so i actually read that thread a lot and i there's been a there's some banter recently um of players that were talking about the tournament in Coolcrest on the uh, southwest Mm -hmm. putting Mm -hmm. tour and how amazing the course was and and whatnot and i was listening to the you know just reading reading the banter back and forth and i started realizing there's a lot of players out here that just be open and honest that they, they, they 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 complain about so many different things but Nobody really takes the time to actually do anything about it. So I'm just reading all these complaints about how miniature golf is goofy and and whatnot. And I started thinking about over the last four years, you know, we're we're not recruiting any new players. We're not promoting the game. We're not marketing the game. It's mm-hmm. what what's going on down here at the USPMGA, especially down in Myrtle Beach. I'm like, you have a thousand golf courses in the area. You have all these junior programs. The, the field isn't getting any bigger. The European players are leaving. What's going on? Everybody's complaining about the organization of it and the rules and there's no marketing, no promotion. And I was just like, you know what? I'm going to I started streaming um, old school Street Fighter recently. And I was like, but there's a lot of people doing that. Nobody is streaming miniature golf, like as far as tournaments are concerned, Mm -hmm. as far as live action, live commentary. So I just decided, you know what? I'm going to put my personal accomplishments to the side. It's a, it's a really hard thing for me to do because I am super ultra competitive. I mean, ultra, ultra competitive. And I was just like, you know what? This time I'm just going to put it to the side. I'm going to try to bring this to the masses, get more people involved, because everybody that I talk to when they ask about my hobbies and I tell them that I'm into miniature golf, they love it. They think it's amazing and they want to learn more about it. And I tell them to go to ProMiniGolf.com and then they go to the website and it hasn't been updated in like two years. And it's just disappointing. Right. So I'm just like, well, instead of me, instead of me complaining about it, enjoying the crowd, why not be a part of the solution this mm-hmm. time? Be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem. And, you know, let's get with the course owner, Chris, and see if he likes the idea of me doing a live stream, a live commentary. Let's get, you know, let's get with some other people and see if they like this idea. Let's see if I can even do it in the first place. So that's why you saw me at like Putt Putt Fort Wayne. I was just by myself or with with Brent or Brian and doing it on a very small scale and seeing what the general reaction was, like the, the first impressions. And everybody loved it. Like, wow, the audio quality is great. The video mm-hmm, quality is mm-hmm. great. Um, and I'm like, wow, this might actually be a thing. So, you know, I, I had paid 
I you know, paid for my flight, hotel, everything by myself. And I'm like, this is going to be an investment. But I think in the end, it's going to be worth doing this, sacrificing my own personal results. Whatever happens, happens in a tournament. But I'm going to try to have as much fun as I can and bring attention to miniature golf. Talk about everything that's going on with the tournament, the structure, the organization, the, the, the carpets, the bricks, everything. You get it all out in the open so everybody can understand and just put my personal pride to the side and just have fun and, and sacrifice it. And, and I, I think it's just for the greater good of the game, to be honest with you. Yeah. And I, I think we all really appreciated that there was someone down there that was actually not only sending back images, but the commentary too. I think at best when we were looking at the tournament moving, I think we were hopeful that we'd see some photos and get some end of the day scores versus like watching a final happen in real time and you know with how close the whole tournament was that was really nice but before we get to how you did and everybody else did in the finals uh, let's talk about the course specifically and as we know it's a sister course to the 2019 u.s open course mr putty's in south carolina both of which are harris courses what were your overall impressions of the course? What do you think were like the things that you really liked about it, the strengths and weaknesses as, you know, something that would be considered a major tournament course? Um, so I have very strong <laughs> opinions regarding the, uh, as, as maybe you guys heard me talk about, about I use the word RNG a lot um, because of the carpet, the bricks and whatnot. As far as the layout of the course and, you know, just the general like topography of the course, it was actually really good. It's just really unfortunate that with some of the holes where, you know, hole two was 100 over 100 feet long. Um, some of the other holes were, you know, 35 to 45 feet long. And when you have the combination of the length of the hole with the type of carpet they're using, the impossibility of trying to use the bricks in a consistent manner, it was really hard to get the ball close to the hole. Another thing, too, is like when when they pulled the rings out, it made, you know, complete it, it didn't it didn't really change the tournament very much as far as the way the holes <laughs> played. But the, the course, the layout, like there was lots of holes that, you know, for example, hole one, um, if in a perfect world, if if the bricks were smooth, even even if you just took out anything else and you just made the bricks smooth, that course would probably play seven to ten shots easier because there were so many holes. Hole one hole three, hole five, um, course hole number seven, 10, um, 11, 13, 17, or 13, 16, and 18 tournament holes. Those holes, all of the, all of the holes are cut so close to the bricks, like within 18 to 24 inches of the bricks, that if the bricks were smooth, those holes become almost automatic aces. Sure. I mean, it, they were so close to the bricks that you could just hit it pretty much within like a four or five inch area on the brick and it would go, it would fi figure out a way to lip in. So it was really unfortunate that it was a really good course. It was really hilly. It was basically like, you know, the, the middle of the course was on a, was on a, like on a, on a, basically like a, a volcano. And then the course just kind of like wrapped around the outside of the volcano. So it, everything just kind of like went around in a circle of the volcano. And then the, the, the ending holes kind of went up the top of the hill and then back down. So it was a cool layout. Um, some of the holes were re really well designed. It, they, I believe he said the course was built in 1980. 
two, if I remember correctly, when I asked him about it. And then he recarpeted the holes just two years ago. Nice. Um, so he said the place was a complete mess. There were weeds and stuff growing everywhere. Um, but, you know, the general landscape of the, of the course was great. I wish there was more shade. Unfortunately, like there was a big tree in the middle of the mound. But otherwise, outside of that, you saw the palm trees and whatnot mm-hmm. in the videos. They just didn't provide any shade. I mean, there was nowhere to hide. So, you know, and, and when you're out there in the sun between like 10 and 2 p.m., and it's 86 degrees outside with 100% humidity and you have zero places to hide, it gets pretty brutal out there. Yeah, especially when you're up from up north. <laughs> Don't do well in that Florida heat. Um, and for our listeners, you know, we're going to put out on all our socials, we got links to to Frank's you know, t- Twitch and YouTube so you can kind of deep dive. He, he does a great job of walking through all the holes and stuff. Um, another fun fact about the course is, I think it was owned or partially owned at one point by Red Sox outfielder Mike Greenwell. And that's why all the holes huh. have a baseball theme name to them. Ah, okay. That kind of makes sense because I remember him being at the Pro-Am yep. there and Mr. Putties. Yep. So Yep, that's okay. how he was involved there. So cool fact as a Sox fan, and I was really psyched to meet him back in Mr. Putties when he was at the Pro-Am. Got a couple good pictures there, so pretty happy about that. And I think before we get too far off, and that point you were making about promoting, I mean, it's part of the reason Tom and I are doing the podcast here is that there is just such a void of getting this information out there. And it's hard to describe, I think, to the listeners who may be more casual mini golf fans, but watching, you know, the US Open was the same weekend as the Masters. So I would go from watching the Masters and then I watched your live stream and we'll get to those final couple rounds. But like, yeah, that last round that you had with John and then watching the the leaders come in. I mean, you put Jim Nance over that I and mean, we would have the same quality as the last five holes in the Masters. It was it just was compelling. It was awesome for somebody mm-hmm. who couldn't be there, who really wanted to see it, to be able to see that because. Right. In the past, I mean, it's been like I know I've done Facebook Live stuff at the Masters because I usually don't make the cut for the top 30. So I'm usually walking around. But I mean, that's only but so good, but it's something. And I think, um, you know, the other thing I think if listeners really want to see some other cool stuff. And I don't know, Frank, if you got a chance to see this, but when the world championships were in China in 2019, the Olympic Channel actually had live streaming there with like all the professional equipment and you know, for a fan of mini golf to see that up there and then to see, you know, what you're doing, kind of being on that same level. Yeah, I really hope we see a lot more of that in the future. So, again, thank you for doing that and kind of taking that that hit on the, the personal accomplishments. But um, I guess staying on the personal side, just, you know, all of that considered, how do you think you played? Uh, I got really unlucky. <laughs> the, luck, the, the, the luck has never been on my side at any USPMGA event so far. I have literally zero rounds under my belt where I've had like some, you know, just luck happen to me throughout the entire round. At some point, I've always like run out of luck or something happened or I shot myself in the foot at some point. I've had little tiny flashes of brilliance, but I mean, I, you know, like, for example, if you look at my if you look at route, if you go back and watch round one. So on hole two throughout practice, I only had four. I only I only played four official practice rounds or just one ball throughout the entire week because I was so busy doing this stuff. So I knew going in not to expect I couldn't expect anything. And normally I have super high standards for myself because I'm grinding, you know, I'm hitting 20, 30, 40, 50 balls on every hole. But at this time I couldn't. And so on hole two, 
throughout practice, you know, I probably hit 20 balls down that lane at some point in time throughout the week. I had zero bad bounces in 20 balls. <laughs> so I'm like, OK, I'm listening to all these guys talk about the bad ball, you know, bad bounces, balls going out of bounds and all this stuff. And I'm like, I don't see it. It's not happening to me. <laughs> of course, what happens the first round of the tournament, I get a terrible bounce. It goes it hits the crack. It comes right back past the hole and it goes halfway up the hill. And I had a pretty much an impossible deuce. But even if I practice that, I hit a thousand balls there. I'm probably, I'm probably going to make one. And so, you know, I'm just like, OK, I make a four. But then, you know, right there on hole four, I make an ace. I ace hole five. I ace hole six, you know, three in a row. And then I get up on hole nine and I ace that. And I'm right back at the two under par um, through eight holes. And then hole 10, I, it's impossible to describe, but you only have like two or three inches of room to, to just miss the little corner there. Well, I guess it would actually have been whole, tournament hole number nine. Uh, two or three inches of room there to miss that little corner. Otherwise, the ball was going to stay up on the slope like mine did. Or you can catch the slope and go down towards the hole. So... You know, it's like and I w- went back and watched the videos There's so many balls of mine were tracking straight towards the hole in the last six to eight inches. They lipped out, but they touched the hole. They hit a lot of the hole and it just didn't go in. It was even happened to Mr. Wilder, too. If you watch some of the shots in the, in the beginning there, he was getting just it was it was we were getting really frustrated because we felt like we were playing great. And then there were certain situations where it was just like we just catch a lip and it didn't go in. And and some guys did and some guys didn't. So. You know, it's hard to be upset when I'm hitting the ball online, you know, a lot and I'm hitting my spots a lot, but the ball's just not going in. Such is the the pain of mini golf as, as somebody who <laughs> never had the putt putt upbringing. And I would say the more consistency that a putt putt course brings my 20 years of playing in tournaments has all relied on the, the gods of luck on the mini golf course. And, you know, eventually they'll come around at least once for you. <laughs> you would hope so. Yeah. And, you know, it's a lot different stakes, too, when you're jumping from practice to it actually being for all the money and you have all the competition around you and got to move along. And on top of it, you were you were streaming it the whole time and you were trying to give a narrative and tell everybody what's going on in the tournament. And you really, you know, as you said earlier, wanted to focus on spreading the game and the word of the game out there. How do you imagine adjusting just going forward with that? Because I think we think you did a great job on the streaming end, but do you think you're going to do any adjustments as far as how you stream and maybe it's your setup or did you feel pretty solid in like we should expect to see the kind of same footage at the masters? Um, So I was really, really disappointed in Verizon. Um, I made that well known as well. <laughs> so like here, in, like, I live in Lafayette, Indiana, but when I went to Fort Wayne, they have 5G ultra wideband and it was immaculate. I mean, I'm getting 60 frames per second. I'm getting 1440p resolution. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Everybody loves it. And I, you know, I spent 30 days testing this out. I went to um, Indianapolis, Indiana, here in Lafayette and Fort Wayne. And it was like everything was great. I looked at the Verizon network service coverage map. I get to look at Cape Coral and Fort Myers and we've got 4G, we've got 5G. I'm like, sweet, this should be very similar to what you guys have watched. And I get down there and it wasn't. And it was super disappointing because I was only getting like 25 to 30 percent of the the network speed that I was getting up here. Oof. Audio was cutting out. 
video was cutting out. I was getting super frustrated. Somehow my phone overheated on Wednesday and I'm like, am I even going to be able to stream at all? Like, am I going to have to just take videos on my phone and then, um, you know, just upload them to YouTube or something later? And then we're just going to go back to the Stone Ages pretty much where everybody's waiting for me to upload videos (laughs) and waiting for some glare, you know, some terrible picture being taken of a small scoreboard on a on a door again. (laughs) And so that's a reference to the man, the the band golf software. But um, you know, so I'm just like, wow, what's going to happen with this? So I, you know, on Wednesday afternoon, I tried it again and it kind of worked. I'm like, well, I'm just going to run with it and see what happens. And for the majority of the streams, it wasn't too bad. I'm super disappointed with the quality. I know everybody appreciates it. I know everybody, you know, liked it. But to me personally, I thought it was it was crap just because of what I had been used to doing over the last 30 days. And then to go down there and in a critical moment of time for that cellular service to be that bad in that one particular spot <laughs> super unlucky it was super unlucky and it just went with the rng theme the rest of the, the, the you know for the whole week but yes to answer your question about what can we expect at the masters i'm at the mercy of the verizon service i know their verizon service is really good in myrtle beach you should you should expect to see quality that's on par or better with like what i did at pop stroke and what i did at fort wayne putt putt fingers crossed that uh myrtle beach Myrtle Beach has it together, or Bob in the USPMGA might want to consider looking at getting some Wi-Fi hotspots set up because honestly, what you provided, even, you know, and not an ideal quality to your standards, you know, it was still way, way better than what we've been seeing come out of mini golf tournaments in a while. And so I'm glad that the bar is being raised and I'm glad that you're out there really doing this for everybody that enjoys the game of mini golf and hopefully this will help grow it. I appreciate that. And they did have Wi-Fi there at, at Gator Mike's. Unfortunately, it was only inside the arcade sure. building. They had no other routers or anything set up outside. So that was a little bit disappointing. In the, the U.S. Open theme a little bit, you know, we've got the the next one is at Mossy Creek in Tennessee. And I know on one of your streams, this is the last day you get to talk with the owner there because he played in the tournament. Um, have you played that course at all? Yes, I have. I've been there about three times now. All right. So what's uh, I haven't gotten there yet. I really have, want to. I'm hopefully looking forward to playing it in, in 2022 for the Open. I don't think I'm going to get down there for their Tennessee Open, which is what, August 28th, 29th, that weekend this year. Um, what's your impression of that course compared to this one this year? Um, he... Kyle is uh, is a, he's on the right track as far as building a course that's that's suitable for tournament play that meets a tournament standard. He's he's on the right track. It's still it's still the same carpet, um, but his bricks are much smoother. And, um, you know, they're they're still they still have little machine marks. That was the, that was the major flaw with with the with the bricks at Gator Mike's was that the bricks had this this waviness to them so depending on where you caught the brick and those little waves are only maybe like two inches wide so depending on where you caught the brick is that's why the that's why the results were so random um but his bricks there's only two little tiny cuts in there you can get really consistent bounces he also has multiple hole locations um i i don't know if i have all the if i can remember all of them but hole one has two hole locations hole three has two hole locations hole five hole five and six have two hole locations hole eight has four hole locations um and there's another one maybe one or two more that have multiple hole locations so for his tennessee open he actually uses 
the multiple hole locations. He gives the players a pin sheet months in advance so they can study the pin sheet so they know on which rounds, which pin locations are going to be using. For the U.S. Open um, next year, he's not sure whether or not, you know, it's just going to be one one set of pins throughout the entire time just to be consistent with the other U.S. Opens of the past or whether he's going to be allowed to change it up and have multiple uh, hole locations. But the, the course plays great. Um, there's a couple of holes out there like I'm not a, I'm not a fan of water holes where you just dump the ball in a water channel and mm-hmm. it just runs down there and then just whatever happens happens. Um, unfortunately, his hole nine is like that. Um, and then the other thing, too, is he has pipe holes on hole number seven pipe hole on hole number uh, 12. I think it's seven and 12 are the two main pipe holes. Um and we can talk about that at some other point in time, but but the pipes don't play very good because the, the diameter of the pipe is so huge at the outlet of it that you just get a random random outcome. Um, and unfortunately, you have to use the pipes on both of those two holes, so you're at the you're at the mercy of that. But he's on the right track. Well, if, if anybody listening is like me and is very very green in the competitive mini golf world, this is what you should expect from the real like pros that are going out to the tournaments. I think what Frank has just displayed is just this like muscle memory for all of these holes that is a real like huge characteristic of all of the major pros is that they're memorizing all these holes left and right, every do shot, every a shot to try to really maximize uh, the low score that they can get. So those of you turning in that felt like that was like a little over your head, don't worry. I've barely been in the competitive (laughs) mini golf world and I'm like intimidated already about going to the masters, but that's not going to stop me from going because, you know, it just takes time to learn these things. And I want to, I want to say something about that too, Tom, is that was one of the things that I, that I recognized when I first got into putt-putt and miniature golf is that the players that had never been involved in any of this stuff before they were they all told me they were intimidated by it there's so many new courts there's so you have to learn three courses oh my <laughs> god i'll never be able to learn that in time um and i'm just like look you know if you come down there and and every every single player i will say this about about the players is every single player they will show you their shot they will show you their philosophy they will show you their idea of the whole they will tell you about the danger they'll tell you about everything that you need that you should know about it and they will get you up to speed so fast you know we had john lang from uh, indianapolis indiana who came first time last year and he went down with brian johnson so between brian johnson myself and brent whirling we had him up to speed on all three of those courses within like three days and, you know, that's the thing is it I, I have a gift of having a great memory. I've always had a great memory so I can remember, you know, every course that I've ever played the shots. I can just walk up to the hole and just know exactly what it is just by looking at it. And, you know, not everybody has that gift. So that was one of the things of the reasons why I tried to break it down and explain the holes the way that I did so that I tried to make sure that I didn't use any slang, you know, any lingo that just said a player wouldn't have any idea what I was talking about. So, you know, sometimes you might listen to the stream and you might hear me say, you know, oh, I pushed that one or I pulled that one. But then I would explain what I meant, you know, for Mm -hmm. a right handed player. If I pulled the shot, I missed the putt to the left. If I pushed it, I missed my target to the right. So you can kind of have a little bit of a visual of what's going on. And I tried to make sure that I, 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 you know, made sure that I always tried to explain everything so that no matter if you were a seasoned veteran or if you mm-hmm. had somebody who had never done it before, you could, you could easily understand what was going on. I definitely did. And I am definitely very green. Yeah. And I think your point, I mean, it, it is the point that I make all the time it is one of the few competitive sports where everybody 
is sharing their information and there's always a friendly person there's always somebody who if you say like hey how do you shoot this they'll let you watch it i mean at the end of the day right you still got to make the putt it's easy to be shown it it's easy to be told what dot to put on you, you still got to nail it so you know they're, they're not really putting up against anything although i'll tell my buddy justin seymour he gave me the ace shot for one of the holes on aaron kaminsky's tournament last year and it was probably why i ended up beating him so you know at the end of the day maybe it comes back to to beat you but it is it is entry and I think the cool thing about it is when you're out there because it's mini golf, like it doesn't feel like as much of a grind, right? You talk about you'll hit 20, 30, 40, 50 balls, but like you're on a mini golf course, it's usually nice weather. You're going to have ice cream, beer, whatever at the end. Like it doesn't feel like as much of, you know, if you're out there doing CrossFit for three hours <laughs> during a day, this sort of thing. So that that's, you know, to Tom's point about, you know, kind of the greener people, it may seem intimidating, but that, that learning curve is you get up it really quickly and then you, you really get into it. And it's, it's a great thing about the sport. Um, one of the things, you know, before we wrap up that I did want to talk about is you had a chance to also go over to the pop stroke course while you were down there and you, you did some live streaming there. I'd be interested in your take of, is that something where we see potentially future tournaments? Is that something where we'd, you personally, would you like to see all the tournaments on there? Would you like a mix of tournaments? You mentioned right now the USPMGA also only has a couple majors and hopefully we can start growing various different things over the years. But, you know, compare and contrast, is that your ideal or is that something that's a nice just change of pace to like a putt-putt or, mini, or traditional mini golf type course? Pop pop stroke was absolutely fantastic. It was so player friendly. Um, every single hole, like on the we had the cup course and the tiger tiger course. I believe every hole on the cup course except maybe two, we figured out a shot right away. And those are courses you could probably shoot low twenties on very very consistently. I mean they played so player friendly. You could just use the slopes. You can use the hills. Everything made sense on the tiger course. It was a little bit harder. That's why it was you know the tiger course. I think as far as and all right, let, let, let me let me say this first is that I have to apologize to Dave Cargetta before I before I get into this. And the reason why is that he he is uh, from the MSOP and he is an MSOP champion and he came to the event by chance. One of his friends told him to come to Gator Mike's that they had changed the carpets and they updated updated the the carpets and, and, and whatnot there. And he and he showed up and he happened to see a sign. That was advertising the U.S. Open. He inquired about it, and that's why he was in the event. He had a terrible experience. He hated the randomness. He hated the bricks. He hated the carpet. He hated the structure. He hated the organization of the tournament. And I and I I felt so bad because we need somebody like him on board. And and this leads into pop stroke because he went to pop stroke and he liked it. He didn't play it, but he liked he liked the format of it. But he was in the agreement with me that if for the biggest money and the best players, that is the best, most consistently playing course that I've ever played. Um, when Rick Baird went on it, he compared it to the carpet that was the exact same kind of carpet that they played in in Sweden. So I'm not. Did you go to Sweden, Pat? Yeah, I went to the to Wagon a couple of years ago. Yeah. Okay. So he said that that carpet is exactly the same carpet that they use there. And and he was comparing it to the way the course is played in Sweden and he loved it. And I just kept thinking, like, if we're ever going to get big names 
and have the biggest money with the biggest prize pools, it's probably going to be on a pop style. If it's not at pop stroke, it's going to be on that kind of style, of course, that plays ultra consistent um, because our courses are just still too random. It really is. And I know that me and you spoke about it, Pat, a little bit about the randomness of the, and you like the randomness. And it's great if you have a ran if you it's great if you have randomness, if there's no money involved. But if you have money involved and prestige and 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 a Hall of Fame and green jackets and all this stuff, it's got to come down to skill. It really does. Um, but yes, the pop stroke courses played amazing. The carpet was outstanding. The way the course was designed was great. The only I would say the only thing that I would change about it is the distance between the holes because there were so many people out there. Some of the holes only had maybe six to eight feet in between them. And there might be like 15 people standing there waiting to play another hole. So it really got backed up because, you know, when I was there with Matt Mayo, there was at least 200 people on the course at that point in time. So the course, the the holes were a little bit too close together. Um, Maybe that was just they just didn't project it to be that popular. I don't know, but it really it is. But yeah, the way the course is played is outstanding. I feel like if we were really going to have the biggest money with the best fields, um, you know, because the MSOP had their stadium course and it and it just it died out. That stadium course only lasted just that one championship and then they couldn't get the gaming license and they had all these issues with the with the gaming commission in Nevada. Um, but the pop stroke is fantastic. I think, like I said, if it's if it's going to be for the biggest money and the, the biggest prizes with the best with the best players and to get more people involved, like professional PGA tour players, just even just based on David Cargetta's experience, because he works with PGA tour pro player, uh, PGA tour professionals. And he teaches, you know, guys out of putt like Jesper Parnovic. Um, there's other guys out there that he, that he's taught and he works, you know, with charity and he has kids with cancer and whatnot. And for him to be that disappointed about it, like it was really disheartening and discouraging to me that all he talked about was how random it was, how terribly organized it was. And it really hurt me because I, I wanted to talk to him about it. I'm like, you know, what could I possibly say? What could I possibly pitch to him that would make him want to come back? And he had such a bad experience, you know. So then we went over the pop stroke and we talked about it. And it's like, man, this this is probably going to be the future. I, I, whether you like it or not, honestly, it's probably going to be the future. Yeah. I mean, what we'll save the organization part for another day because that's something that's fixable outside of this. I mean, my view is I, I like the pop stroke. I love Sweden. I like if we're going to be a mini golf organization, I think this applies worldwide too. keeping some of the traditional in there as a mix. And, and my ideal would be is we have a lot more tournaments than we do and a mix of those across there. And maybe the U.S. Yeah. Open stays or the Masters or, or one of them stays at more of that. OK, you've got the bricks and that's something you deal with. But, yeah, I think we got to move at least some of it to that pop stroke or Sweden style that allows that for the that type of style in there because as someone who just likes to promote the entryway to the sport is still the local right it's it's what people do and and there's not enough of that pop stroke around people don't necessarily look at that as mini golf if you're a family so that's where i'm coming from but i I definitely see your point and i think you know especially when we look at what sweden's doing with their tour their adventure golf tour and how they're growing and getting the money for their types of courses there's a model around that um and we are definitely going to be revisiting some of that in a future episode that we could talk about yeah and and my only last thought is like my interest in playing mini golf sometimes is even on courses that are even less interesting for tournaments but i will say as a model you know for 
tournaments going forward, the pop stroke model, like by cost, it's way, way, way less expensive. Like building out those courses with bricks and water and all of that, like that's actually a lot more expensive than just laying out the turf and doing that kind of that grading and the sloping. And so it might be the way of the future, if nothing else, that the Harris model with like the traditional, you know, kind of cookie cutter waterfall and little water pathways. There's enough of those courses out there and a lot of them are in disrepair and not all that fun that I think a place like Pop Stroke that has like a very distinct and new look is going to be interesting. But I think that, you know, we're going to have you back on again, Frank, and we're definitely talk more about the competitive world of mini golf with you. And I'm looking forward to meeting you in person at what will hopefully be my first masters of many this year in Myrtle beach. But, uh, before uh, we let you go, do you want to remind us of your channels on YouTube and Twitch and elsewhere? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash Roy, R-O-Y underscore Bissell. And you will find uh, in the beginning of my Twitch history there recently as I was doing uh, old school Street Fighter stuff. So you'll find um, some emulated uh, Street Fighter um, videos on there, but the, 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 from the you know, from this point going on, it's going to be all either like PGA Tour, 2K21, miniature golf design courses that I've found on there, or it's going to be, you know, actual, you know, IRL uh, mini golf. And on YouTube, you can just find me at Frank Bassesi um, on YouTube, and you'll find also similar videos as well. And I'm, I'm working on uploading the um, rest of the pop stroke videos that I took over the course of the week um, to my YouTube page. Sweet. Well, thanks, Frank. We had a blast having you on and, uh, we will make sure to share out all of those links uh, in the notes of our podcast and on social media. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. And with that, we're at the 19th hole. Until next time, putt when ready.